0: Hi, I'm Sonia Jean Killebrew, and this is Black America and COVID, an oral history project. I started this project during Black History Month of 2022 because I wanted to provide a platform for Black Americans to share their stories about living, working, and or going to school during the COVID-19 pandemic. I also wanted to provide a space for people to memorialize someone who is a black American who sadly lost their life to COVID-19. I was inspired by Zoe Neil Hurston, the anthropologist and author, to record the experiences of Black Americans in their own voices. My goal is to get my recordings into museums such as the Smithsonian Museum. Of African American history and culture. I'll share a little bit about me and my family before I introduce my guest today. I'm a black American. My dad was African American and indigenous American. My mother is Jamaican American. I'm a fourth-generation teacher. My mom is a retired New York City teacher My grandmother was a teacher in Jamaica for 20 years and then in New York City for 20 years. And my great-grandmother was a teacher in Jamaica in the late 1800s, up until she got married. She was the daughter of an Irish woman and a black man. And she stopped working after she got married because it wasn't considered respectable for a woman to work after she got married back then. Ironically, my mom began working long after she got married in the late 1900s, either the 1980s or 1990s. So without further ado, I'm excited to speak with my guest.
1: Hey, I'm, I'm Cicero the III. I'm actually from Bronx, New York. Um, grew up, born and raised in the Bronx, and then moved out to California when I was about uh, 26. Um, so now I live in Covina, California. Um, married with three kids. And uh, other than that, I own an insurance agency uh, that's based in San Bernardino, California. Um, and you know, I, my history and work has been uh, a bunch. I also such to teach on occasion for and give uh, financial literacy talk to kids.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Did you start doing the financial literacy after you got your MBA or before?
1: Yeah, so I, I mean, I once I got my MBA, I was gonna go back into corporate America um, because previously I worked for AT&T and I was going to try and move up in the corporate ladder and the opportunity came to take over, a, a, an insurance agency that, uh, a gentleman had passed. And so I, I purchased the book of business and in doing so, they had an attachment with San Bernardino city unified school district. So I maintained that relationship and, you know, that city reminded me a lot of the Bronx. It's a, it's a struggling city in California. Um, you know, they're trying to make it out. And so I decided to go in and also give back my time. You know, since I'm making money off of the community, I wanted to get back to the community. So I talked to the high school kids about financial literacy. I go in there, I talk to them about their opportunities to go to college and how real it is for kids that may not, you know, understand or believe it. Obviously, being in prep for prep, I, I know that there's an opportunity that I didn't know about. My mom didn't know about it. It wasn't somebody reaching out a hand and, and letting them know. So, um, so that's been a, part, a big part of you know, what I do.
0: Thank you for bringing that up. And I'll say for um, our listeners, I always think of like the future, like this is my primary resource, and one day someone will listen to these recordings. But that Sister and I were both in prep nine and we met like in the seventh grade, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, seventh grade, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Crazy. I remember you were so smart and you told everyone, I'm Sister of Solomon third, It's like etched in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Thank
1: what, you. What boarding school did you go to? I ended up going to, to
0: Lawrenceville. Oh you did. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So it was a good time. Honestly, I mean I, I you know, I would never change that experience. I, it was uh you know I we had a thing the other day with some younger prep kids and their experiences in boarding school and how they feel now in the in the workforce. And um it, it feels it feels different. Um and I don't know if it's age or what we've dealt with you know, when we were younger, uh, the time frame, but it feels like, I don't know, I feel like we um, understood the unfairness of of America and what it was, and we made the most out of being placed into there, whether it be like the connections we made and understanding that like we were going to be the change, and we didn't have an expectation for people to want to wanna be or expect us to, you know what I mean? I a, it's hard to explain, but I was talking to some of them, and it felt like they expect Things to be more fair, as opposed to like you have to create a fairness by demanding a fairness. Yeah. You know, by demanding the equality, right? And that people will respond to that. But you can't expect it to just change.
0: I agree. I've seen that a lot in the younger kids. They expect inclusion as opposed to saying, okay, you're going to include me. This is what I'm bringing to the table. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then, oh, so can you talk about what was it like living during the pandemic or working from home or your kids going to school from home?
1: Yeah, I mean, I try, and maybe it's my positive nature, but I feel like, for me at least, and growing up in a single-parent household, my mom working all the time, you know, uh, going to boarding school where activities, I couldn't always have my parents there, right? The pandemic was tough as a, well, for me, and I try and be respectful of the people who, who don't have that flexibility. I was going to the office all the time to meet clients, and but owning an insurance agency, I didn't have to anymore. So it changed that, the way I worked. I mean, I worked on Zoom a lot, and people were okay with it. Um, I didn't have to go into the office. I was able to work from home, so when my kids had, to, had school at home, I was able to be there. Um, so my kids became, I had a good year and change of really seeing how my kids worked and having time with my kids. And so now that they're back at school, I appreciated that. I'm like, man, the pandemic for me, I am like, well school, but I also understand that like, I also still made money during the pandemic. I mean, I was in insurance. People still needed, people were buying, still buying homes. People were still buying cars. People started needing life insurance. My business as a whole actually grew during the pandemic. And it's, you know, it's a tough thing, you know, but in a capitalist society, I a benefit, right? But it's a sad thing because while well, I was winning, some people were losing, you know what I mean? So it's one of those things where that part, that part is a weird thing to be excited about that my business was is, is strong and stayed and maintained while on the, other hand, well, on the other hand, people didn't. You know, from a family perspective, like I said, me and my kids got to bond um, and that was great. There was some, I'd say the the pros outweigh outweighed the cons. The detriment was like as my daughter went back to school, especially my youngest. My my middle daughter was cool because she had friends in the neighborhood. After school they could still go kick it. We kept a pretty small network of people that we knew were like kept pretty safe. So we've never actually experienced uh, in our in our household at least didn't experience COVID. Um and then, you know, after the, the pandemic ended, my youngest seemed a, a little bit too attached to me. She didn't want to do the after school program. She was like, No, nah, I just wanna be at home. I'm like, You don't need to be at home. Like, get your get out the house, go hang with some other kids. You don't need to be chilling with me, you know? So that but that but once we just put her, we found the after school program where I was like, even if I got out early, like didn't have to work till late, I just left her there. Like till like to the end of it. So that I was like, You need to spend more time hanging with these kids. So that was so I could see how when I hear about other kids not being able to, you know, having some issues acclimating, I understand. Right. Um, but a part of it, you know, I feel like some parents didn't appreciate it and like just complained. And instead of realizing that once your kids go back to school, you realize how little you see them. Like yeah. they're there at school all day. You at work, you come home, what we'll eat dinner. And then maybe talk to them for an hour or two and probably not because either they're on their phone or, how many times do you really sit down and talk to your kids? I mean, really, you know what I mean? Like, really have real conversations because you're trying to decompress from work and all that other stuff. So, you know, it was that was that was pretty amazing. Um, on the on the COVID side, from a from a you know, a, a sex standpoint, you know, I have family members that did pass, I have friends that passed. Um, so, you know, my, my, my grandmother's best friend, who's kind of like a second grandmother, she passed away from COVID. Um, I know a person out here that was in my rotary group, her husband passed from COVID um, in New York. Also I had some, my aunt's friends, uh, two of them passed from COVID. So, you know, mainly the East coasters, I know had dealt with the, the, the fatalities more. Um So it was definitely more real for East coast, for the West coasters out here and Covina, honestly, they didn't really respect it. They really took it for granted. Um, and it was a, I actually had a falling out with, a group I was in because they didn't think it was, they didn't want to take it seriously, and I was like, "Yo, it's serious. Like, you know, you guys don't realize like in Covina and even in L. A. It's a very separate uh, way we live. Where like I got to get in a car, I'm on my own. I know where I'm going, right? I'm not interacting with a lot of different people. And even if you work somewhere, you don't have to have these interactions with random random people. Whereas in New York, in the big cities, you do, right? Like you have to. You take a, a public transportation, even if you don't have public, even if you drove to an office, you still gotta get out the car, walk in, walk walk around the block, right? With people all around you, get in the elevator to right? And these things all created opportunities for, you know, the transmission. And and that became frustrating for, for me about people who didn't respect how dangerous this thing was while I knew it was real, you know? And until it started hitting people out here, you know, one-off, then people started saying, oh, you know, it is real. But I'm like, it's a little too late now. Like, you know, and I lost, and, you know, those are situations where those are people I'm, i honestly probably really, am glad I separated from. Because uh, I realized that that, because at the same time, there was a whole, like, Black Lives Matter movement and all these other things that were going on. And as a Black man in the community, where there's not a lot of Black men, you know, it, that also became prevalent. And they, there was that intersectionality between that and, I fight for equality and, and, you know, and those things. And so that, that shed a lot of light on my community, um, and the people I was around, right. People already knew, you know, kind of sort of going to boarding school, you always kind of know people that you're like, I think that they could change. There's some ignorance because they just don't know. Right. And there's some people who you're like, as you become an adult, you're like, well, these people are actually way too old. They're literally not going to change. Right. Like if they're young and they're like that, you're like, all right, cool. There may be, you know, they just may not know. They just may not know a black man, right? They just may not understand that, you know, it's not what you see on TV. You know what I mean? Like, when I bring people out here, most of my friends that actually come out here that are visiting, like, are black men that all have educations, all have good jobs, all have families, right? So, and even in my community, it's mainly Hispanic and white. So, even my local police department, it's weird because most of the crimes are white and Hispanic. Because it's a white and Hispanic area. But yet during the, you know, I would, we would have conversations and you would see, and even on social media, people talking about how dangerous black people are. And I'm like, what do you, I'm like, in your community, you don't see any black people coming around because there aren't any black people. Like, I don't even understand how you see that it's people that look like you that are white and Hispanic, but yet you don't, you're just saying there's black people doing it. I don't, I don't get it. You know what I mean? Wow. Like, I could see, yeah, I could see if you lived in New York or a city where you would see black people in the community and, and you may see a black person commit a crime and then associate that, cool. But I'm like, you don't even live in that type of community. And so I don't understand that type of reaction. And that really made it prevalent of how, of how, you know, things are. So, it, you know, that's kind of a, it in a nutshell. And I answered that question with a very long answer.
0: No, no, that was great. Did I ask you if you identify as black or African-American? Or how do you
1: identify? Uh, I mean, I identify as black. I mean, my, you know, I, I'm half, I'm half black, half Puerto Rican, and I, I just identify as black. At the end of the day, like, I, I'm cool with any of them, African American, whatever. Like, at the end of the day, that's that. All, all of those are me, right? I'm not just one of them. Um, they right. all identify me, and you know, I, try, I, I. The Puerto Rican side tends to be an issue when I meet Spanish people that that don't have dark Afro-Latino roots or don't understand it, especially like I said, out here, there's a lot of Mexicans, they don't really mess with dark dark skin. People like that, there's a very big dis- disconnect between Mexicans and dark skin uh, folks and, you know, it's a it's a sad struggle but, you know, I, I the ones that I live around tend to be open like they ask me questions and they seem a little bit more trying to understand but it's odd because there's like a random ignorance of like older people and I'm like, have y'all, have y'all never met a black person? Like, it's just wild it's wild to me you know and you know being Puerto Rican is important too in in culture but I you know I talk to my mom about it but the thing is I always tell her I say ultimately no matter how Puerto Rican I am people just see the black first right and I say sometimes me telling people I'm Puerto Rican especially in a black community almost takes away from from the benefit of what they're learning about black people because the you know, me being one of the few Black folk, and I joke my kids, like, why why I have my hair out, why I do a lot of that is because I want the community to see what a Black person could look like. And not not the cl- close haircut, right, the, the the clean look that they want, right, but the fact that we can be look this way and still own a business, still be engaged in the community, still be a good father, good house, right, do all these things, and how relevant that is. And that if in those conversations I then tell them, oh, yeah, I'm half Puerto Rican. Then what that does is that that gives them an excuse as to why I'm I'm uh, a black man is good. It's like oh you know what he's different but that's because he's not all black. He's Latino like us, right? So then I worry about that, which I shouldn't, but I do because I I want to make I want it to be understood that you know the black part is a Latino thing also. It's a Puerto Rican thing also, but. If I tell you that I'm Puerto Rican, then you kind of want to make it, so now all of a sudden you want to associate it with your Latino, and you want to say, well, he's different because he's Latino, he's Puerto Rican, right? Not, oh, that's a black man doing his thing, right? Because as a Puerto Rican, I'm still a black man. At the end of the day, that's you, that's what people see, a brown man, whatever. You see my c- complexion first. So, that's you know, so- I, that's why I didn't affect that.
0: It's so interesting. It wasn't until I got to college, I joined, I was in all the clubs. I was in the Asian Student Association, Black Student Association, and no (laughs) like the Latino Student Association. Have you and your family traveled to Puerto Rico, or have you not traveled during the pandemic?
1: Um, During the, uh, we have not traveled during the pandemic. I've been to Puerto Rico before, so we've been, we've been there. Mm. I've been there a couple times, you know, we've we've traveled a few places. We, when. uh, when I was in college. Me and my mom and my sister, and my nephew went to Spain before I got married and stuff. So we saw how it was in Spain as a, as a as a group. Uh, and it was funny there the, the difference between being Puerto Rican and you know the the language, the small language differentials. But it was it, you know it was it was nice. And Puerto Rico is always cool. It's just a word. To say you know it's a word, kind of not state, but you know,
0: uh, yeah, like territory. Commonwealth territory yeah it's a
1: commonwealth so they don't get no love they don't get a lot of love but the right people still want to claim it it's you know it's in a bad situation But yeah um,
0: yeah you have to you can go into the military you can die for america but you can't vote for the president
1: yeah wild right yeah
0: um is there anything else you want to share any memorable stories about during the pandemic
1: um no, I mean, I think, I think overall, I think we kind of adjusted. You know, I think the pandemic was, it was very enlightening. I think, it, I think it, you know, sadly enough, you know, the idea of the pandemic became more than just about health, right? And it brought a lot to light, and it, it shouldn't have because a lot, I think, a lot of people died or were affected negatively because of it. I mean, I got, I got a, a, a family member who's still kind of on one of those like the vaccine and real type thing and you know makes it political and I'm like I don't even understand the point in that like and in these conversations he'll be with someone that is actually in the medical field we literally at my daughter's basketball tournament yesterday he's standing there and it's it's my, my daughter my daughter is also lost that daughter so so but I've been there like she's 15 I'm there, she's 14 so my my her father, her father was there. Goes to the games too. So we're there, and he's kind of, not to put him on blast, but he's kind of a conspiracy theorist, I do, at least with this. And he's listening to another team member's mom, who is a nurse, and she's saying how during the pandemic, because they were talking about the new variant and stuff, mm-hmm. and she's saying from a fact, she's telling him how they used to put people in the guest suite, in in like the 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 little guest shop where you buy stuff at the hospital because they didn't have space. And she's telling him this. she's like, no, I'm telling you, like I was literally there. Like we would have to take the stuff out and put people and plug them in. Like that's how crazy it was. She's like, but now since the, you know, vaccines are out, she's like, we don't see it that bad. Like people are getting sick, but not, and I'm looking at him. And it's like, he doesn't want to believe someone who's literally telling them that. And I'm like, that's the problem is that, you don't want to believe it, and it has nothing to do with like facts. It's like because he's also you know talked about like the whole like government thing and the uh, and Newsom thing and all this other stuff. Because in California, people are like, you know, and honestly, when it comes to politics, I'm I'm very much just American. I don't I don't follow all the sides. I try to pick whatever's best for America. I voted both sides of the aisle before, just to, you know, but in that, I'm like, if you making bad decisions because somebody else made a bad decision, that don't make sense, right? Like, and that's what came out during the pandemic. You start to tell these people making bad decisions almost as a reaction to get back at someone that they don't even know. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's like, oh, well, the, the governor is hanging out with no mask, so why should I? Well, if he want to die, let him die. Like, why are you making a bad decision? Because he made a bad decision. Like, like, he might've made a good, like a good decision in regards to uh, policy and still be making bad personal decisions. We all do that. Right. Like I tell my kid to do something that I may be doing wrong. I tell my kid don't drink. I may have some drinks on the weekend. Right. But I wouldn't want my kid to be like, well, my dad making drinking while in." I should d- drink. No, I'm telling you this because I'm telling you because I know what's best for you. Yes. I might make mistakes because I'm human. Right. And I have, right. We make our mistakes. And I think that's a big part of like what's going on. Just in general, right? People feel this need to compete and to make decisions based on other people. Like, this worry, right? I mean, I saw my mom the other day. I think it's the same concept as, like, like, uh, you know, gay rights. Like, I'm like, why do you care who somebody loves? Like, the, at the end of the day, it's not your business who I like or love or who I lay down with. It doesn't matter. Like, why do you care that much? So much so that you wanna stop me or in or hinder me from that. Like don't you have a life? <laughs> like don't you have your own person to love that you need to focus on instead of focusing on me? Like that's that's stuff like that is crazy to me. Because I'm like, you know, and I think a lot of it and it's this weird thing about capitalism. <laughs> I go into rants, so just tell me to stop whenever. But I think about like how capitalism feeds into that. This need to compete against every person. This need to have more than every person forces people to make bad decisions even for themselves or against other people. And you know, my mom, like I said, I'm at church right now my mom's, and, and she's a, she's, you know, she's Christian and she's, and I'm like, the crazy thing is how, how against religion capitalism is. The focus of, of more profit and gain over everything else is totally a disconnect or opposing to the idea of giving everything or or, and and sacrifice for others, right? And how that in itself is is a conflict that America deals with and that capitalism keeps winning, right? Over the giving, right? And how the idea of talking about socialism becomes this danger as opposed to like, hey, how do we make it work and how that's not bad? and how in a country that has talked about freedom of speech and freedom of thought and freedom of rights, that at some point, talking about socialism put people in jail. And you're like, wait, you talk about people should have freedom of thought, but you literally, when people talk about socialism, demean them and say it as if they're committing treason, because why, because they are thinking of a, a different opportunity? I mean, it's a, a democratic republic, right? If we wanted to vote or, to change our, our system of government, we, we have the right to, right? So, how do you then demonize the idea, just the idea of changing, changing how our economic system is, right? Just the idea becomes demonized. And that's because if, if we then do that, then everyone who has benefited from power, from that system, loses it. And that same fear of losing it is the same fear that generates the hatred towards like marginalized people that, allows people not to have grace for people who are dying from COVID who, who aren't in similar situations. That lack of grace is all there because of this need to have more than everyone else and that fear of losing it. Right? Right. So yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of weird stuff that came about through this pandemic that like, you know, when you're home by yourself thinking like, man, what, what is going on? Like why are people wild? Why why don't people seem to seem to understand?
0: Why, no? right because like the covid vaccine that was socialism it was free but people don't think about it as socialism or the unemployment yeah. that, that was socialism yeah. you know yeah. like but people don't think about it like that the government helping you that's socialism but yeah, yeah. Interesting. Thanks. I'm glad you brought that out. I like it when people bring up like the socioeconomic intersection with the COVID-19 pandemic. It's something I think that we should all talk about because we're experiencing it. So why not talk about it?
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Sonia Jean Killebruth. And this is my oral history project, Black America and COVID. Thank you.